So like I said this morning, we're going to talk about trust and how important trust is for us as we follow Jesus. And we're going to read a story in just a second, which um, the more I read this week is kind of ironic during the time that we are, because you're going to see and, and hear Jesus do some things that, that probably seem a little strange right now with all of our social distancing practices and playing it safe. And so I want you to listen to these words. They come from Mark's gospel in chapter 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, and they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go to the village. So on some level, all of us, I would say, have trust issues. At some level, we struggle to trust what people say or even what's happening in our life. Back when I was a college student, I was interning at a church in Dallas. And every summer, we went to a camp at ACU called Kadish. And Kadesh was kind of a different camp because you weren't together as your youth group. You broke up, and so there were all kinds of different kids. There were about 10 to 12 in each group, and they were all from different churches. And so one of the things that you were supposed to do as a group leader, which I was, was to try to create some cohesiveness within your group. And so early in the week, you would play games and do things to help um, build trust, some kind of team-building things that you do when you're in high school. And so one of the games that we did at one point was called the trust fall. And if you've ever seen this, someone stands up on an elevated object, a chair, a desk. Um, in our case, it was an air conditioner box outside on the campus. And you made your body straight as a board, you crossed your arms, and then you would fall backwards into the group of people who would catch you. And we did this um, every year that I was there. And even going back when I was camper at other camps, we would do things like this. And so I had gotten really used to it. And there was this one girl in our group one specific year who was rather afraid of trying to do a trust fall. And we kept encouraging her, saying, no, no, it will be fine. It will be okay. And what was really funny was this, this girl was a little dainty. She was small, and honestly, at the time, I could probably have caught her by myself. And so I was encouraging her, come on, you got to get up there, and you got to give it a try. And um, she finally decides that she's going to let us try to catch her. And she gets up on the air conditioner box, and I'm making sure that all the group is ready, and we're lined up, and I'm saying, you know, I'm right here in the center. And so if nothing else and everyone just gave way, I'm going to be here and I'm going to catch you. And so I'm explaining all of this to the group and to her. And she's up here, she's standing, she's shaking, she's scared to death. And I tell her and the rest of the group, okay, here's what we're going to do. 
on the count of three, when I say one, two, three, and all of a sudden I see her fall right past me. Because I was explaining what we were going to do, and as I was explaining it, in her nervousness and anxiety, she took it as it's time to go. And the crazy thing is none of us were ready for her to fall. And so all we see is her fall right past us and hit the ground. And as you can guess, that did not go a long way in building trust. We, we struggled the next couple days, and it was funny. I remember her falling and getting up off the ground and asking, are you okay? And then, you know, as any 19, 20-year-old college student would do, you, why don't we try it again? <laughs> Of course, she would have none of that. She did not want to get back up on that air conditioning box and try it again. But isn't that what faith is? Faith faith is trusting that God is there and that he is at work. Not that he's going to pull you out of the trouble, but rather that he's going to be with you in the trouble. And that he's going to help you through these times. It's believing in something that we cannot see. And that's what trust ultimately is. I think that's why we have trust issues. Because logically for us, faith does not make a lot of sense. Because we rely so much on what we see. And when we can't see, then we get scared. But that's where faith comes into play. In this story, it's so interesting that you find this blind man who's brought by his friends to Jesus in this small little village. I'm guessing he lives right on the outskirts of this village. And this is home to him. It's the place where he's comfortable. And he hears Jesus is in town. And Jesus is this miracle worker. They all are starting to believe he's this prophet that he's been sent by God, that he's doing amazing things. And so them along with this blind man, along with his friends, come to Jesus on their terms, on their home turf. And they say, Jesus, will you please touch him and heal him? And I think it's interesting Jesus' response. We don't have any recorded words by Jesus at this point. It only says that Jesus took the man by the hand and led him out of the village. So he comes to Jesus in a place that he feels secure, and he feels at home. Jesus takes him by the hand and leads him out of that place to another place that he's not as familiar with, a place that doesn't feel as secure. And what's fascinating to me in this story is this man trusts and follows Jesus before he ever sees Jesus, right? He's a blind man, and he's coming begging for God to touch him and to heal him. And Jesus does not say a single word to him or his friends. He simply takes the man by the hand, and he leads him out of the city. And I can't help but think from this man's perspective, what's going on in his mind? Wait, who, who is this? Can I really trust him? Is it going to be safe? Where are we going? I know these roads. I know this place. I feel safe here. But Jesus is taking him 
somewhere else. He's taking him outside of the village. Isn't that what faith is? Faith is trust. He follows and trusts Jesus before he ever sees Jesus. And Jesus takes him from the place that he feels secure, outside of the village. And I think we learn a really important principle here. God will take you out of the places you feel the most secure and lead you into places of great insecurity in hopes you will see him clearly. Listen, listen again. Let me say this again. God will take you out of the places you feel the most secure and lead you into places of great insecurity in hopes that you will see him clearly. Let me tell you how this has played out in my life and my family's life. Seven years ago, we've been in Tyler, Texas now, and it just blows my mind. We've been here for seven years at Shiloh. Seven years ago, my wife and I were really going back and forth with the decision of whether we wanted to leave youth ministry and transition into to preaching ministry or stay in student ministry long term. I'd even applied to a graduate school and been accepted to work on my D-men in youth and family ministry at a great, great school and a great program. And we kept going back and forth on what's the right move? What should we do next? And I think I drove my wife literally insane with coming in one day and saying, hey, I sent my resume to a church, coming in the next day and saying, no, I think I'm going to go to graduate school and finish my D-men, to coming in the very next day and saying, hey, I applied to another church. And finally, and, and I guess I should also tell you, at the time, she was pregnant with Caleb. And so I am literally driving her crazy. And she comes in and she says, we're going to wait until we have this child before we decide what our next move is. And so finally, Caleb comes, he's born, and we decide, okay, I think it's time to make a transition and start preaching full time. And so we make the decision and we apply to just a few churches right off the bat. And there's one that seems like it is the one. And we begin the process, and we go through the process, and we're really loving everyone that we're meeting. We're loving what this church is like and and all of these things. And we come to the point of the process where they start narrowing down the candidates. And it goes from, you know, 15 candidates to five candidates to three. And we're in this final three. And we're thinking, like, this is it. I mean, this is the point where they start telling you, you probably want to start looking at real estate and, and deciding where you might live and things like that. And so we're online and we're searching, and it's not far from where we are. We're going to get to stay fairly close to, the, to Cleburne, um, fairly close to my parents, a little closer to her parents. And it seems like God is just lining everything up, and this is going to be the perfect scenario. And one Friday night, I get a phone call. And he says, I just want to let you know, we're moving to two candidates, and you're not one of them. And I remember feeling so dejected. Like, I I don't know what, this seemed like it was God at work, and this was perfect. And it fell apart. 
But what was crazy was during this time, about two or three weeks before, I'd gotten a call from a guy named Jared Schultz. And he said, hey, I want you to send in your resume, or I guess we had gotten your resume from Randy Harris at ACU, and we would love for you to interview with us and consider us. And at this time, I think Shiloh was at like 16 candidates. And since I was so close and so sure this other process was going to be where we landed, I just said, sure. I didn't even look up Shiloh. I didn't um, really think it was on our radar. And then I get the phone call a couple weeks later saying, you're not in our final two. And I remember being so dejected. It was the very next week that I got a call from Jared again saying, hey, we've narrowed down the people in the search process and you're in this final group. And I remember thinking, wait, I haven't even Googled this church. I, I don't know where Tyler really is. I know it's in East Texas somewhere. It was amazing how God simply unfolded his pathway for my family. And I firmly believe led us here to this church. And I'm so, so grateful that he did. But there was an incredible lesson on my part on trust. That what God is doing in this world, that God is still at work and that he's still doing amazing things. It was almost like God took me by the hand and was leading me out of the place that I felt the most secure into a place of great uncertainty so that I could see him more clearly. And what's crazy is in those times for all of us, you may feel the presence of God, but you probably won't see the blessing of God until you're on the other side. In those moments, you'll feel God's presence there and working, but you won't see the blessing from his hand until it's over. And that's where trust and faith become so important. That, that we believe as followers of Jesus that God is working all things for good. And it might not be easy, and it might not be clearly seen, but he has something that he is doing in this world. And so when he gets outside of the village, it says that Jesus spits on his eyes and touches his eyes, which I can think of a lot better ways to heal someone, especially in light of our world right now. I mean, can you imagine the CDC watching this from the outside? Oh, Jesus, that's not okay nowadays. Jesus spits on his eyes and touches them. And then he asks the man, can you see? And the man looks up, it says, and he says, I see people, but they're still a little fuzzy. They look like trees walking around. No, notice this. Jesus has touched him, and he still can't fully see. He can't see clearly. He's still waiting for things to be fully restored. And it says this, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were open and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He, he was able to see fully what was happening in front of him. For my family, it felt like there was this long journey, this journey of trying to figure out where God is leading us and what God is calling us to next. And it wasn't until we arrived in the place that we could look back and say, wow, 
God was at work this whole time. Even when we were doubting, even when we were struggling to see, God was there. And this story has so many questions for me. It leaves me with so many questions. Why does Jesus lead him out of the village? Because that was the place he was comfortable. Why does he take him to a place that's not known as well to him? Why does he take him outside of a place of security? But this story mirrors a bigger story that Mark is telling in his gospel. Because Mark tells us in the first chapter of his gospel that this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's the first time Jesus, or Mark uses this word Messiah to describe Jesus, and it happens in the first verse of the first chapter of the book. Mark doesn't say or use the word Messiah again until we get here to chapter 8, describing the disciples' journey from blindness to sight. Because Jesus asked him, he asked his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And the disciples are really, really quick to answer. Well, some say a prophet, you know, that, that there's something special about you. But then Jesus turns and he looks at them really pointedly and says, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course that it's Peter who resp- responds, you are the Messiah. So Mark uses Messiah in chapter 1. He doesn't use it again until chapter 8 when Peter makes this declaration that Jesus, you are the Messiah. And then the rest of the chapters, 9 through about 15, he uses the word Messiah six more times. Once they saw and once they understood, then they can say they see clearly. And this story of the disciples' journey mirrors the blind man's journey, where Jesus takes these young disciples by the hand and he begins to lead them around. And slowly along the way, they begin to see. They begin to see the wonders that God is doing in the world. They begin to see him healing people and bringing life where there was death. And they start to realize that there is something different about this rabbi that we've been following. We knew he was special. We knew there was something different about him from all the other rabbis. But this Jesus is not just a prophet. Peter's declaration is he is Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's that declaration. It's that declaration that becomes the foundation of their faith. And I find it fascinating that just like this blind man, Peter and these other disciples, they followed and trusted Jesus before they fully saw who Jesus was. Before they had this moment of, oh, we see it so clearly now. They were following and trusting Jesus. And I would say the same is going to be true for you. That you're going to have to trust and follow Jesus before you fully begin to see Jesus. 
before you begin to see His work so clearly. Part of the 21 days of fasting and prayer that we're entering into today is about helping us to see Jesus clearly. It's about us coming to Jesus and saying, God, we want you to help us to see better, to see your church and what you're doing in this world better. We want you to help us to see what's happening and how our hands are a part of what you're doing in this world. We want you to help us see, God, we want to see you, to know you, to love you, to follow you, and to trust you. And these disciplines, whether we're reading the Bible through in a year or praying and fasting together, are designed for our eyes. They're designed that they would go through our eyes and transform our hearts so that we could see more clearly. It is our hope. But I think there's other things that God is doing because so many people have said this time has been really trying. It's been hard, and it has. There's been a lot of things, but there's been a lot of good in this time as well. There are a lot of things that have happened that I think have been a blessing to our church, to our families. If you'll remember, just a few months ago, we did a series called Peace and Quiet, Developing the Discipline of Slowing Down in a World Intent on Speeding Up. And I told you during that series that I had more conversations with people who came up and said, you know what? I am so exhausted. I feel like I run 24-7. I'm constantly going. I'm constantly run down and tired. And I wonder, I wonder if this is one of the ways that God has taken us by the hand and led us out of the village, even though he was just leading us out of the village into our own homes, but leading us from the place that we felt secure. Because crazy enough, we felt pretty secure in our busyness. We felt important. We felt needed. We felt valued. And he's led us out of that place into a place of insecurity. A place where we're not sure what tomorrow looks like. We're not sure what it looks like to gather again as a church. We're not sure what it looks like to do missions in a world right now that seems so unstable, with the economy that's so unstable. And I wonder if this was God saying, I've taken you out of the places that you felt so secure, and I've led you into places of great insecurity so that you could see me more clearly. And if you'll remember in the series, we did this part about Egypt, And how after the people were free from slavery, they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. They were out of the bondage that they had wanted out of, and then they wanted to go back. And I keep hearing people say, I'm just ready to get back to normal. Now, if you're retired and and you don't have a busy schedule, I get that. I I would want to go back to normal too, where I can go where I want um, my time and, and those things. But there's a part of me As much as I want to get back together, as much as I still want to be around people, as much as I want to be able to do church like we used to, there's a part of me that doesn't fully want to go back to normal. Because I can tell you during these past eight weeks, seven weeks, whatever it's been at this point, we have spent more time together as a family. 
and we have eaten meals around the dinner table almost every single night. And we have spent more time playing together outside. My wife yesterday said, I've seen more people outside in our neighborhood than I've seen in years. And I told Cammy, I said, well, that's because we're actually outside in our neighborhood more than we've been in years. I think the same is true for all of us. Yes, there's good in getting back to a normal. But I think the hope is that we could find a balance of a new normal. A new normal with spiritual disciplines and rhythms to our life where we're continuing to follow Jesus together. The other thing that's happened during this time is that crisis has created clarity. It's helped us helped us to focus in on what really matters. Because we've seen as a church us connecting so well to people and making that the emphasis, which has always been the emphasis of church. Church was never supposed to be about a service. Yes, we're supposed to gather but it was never supposed to be a time where we came in this formal sense to just sit in our nice clothes and sing and follow a stringent set of rules. It was always supposed to be about the people of God coming together to celebrate and worship a God who raises the dead and who is restoring a lost world and to encourage one another and carry each other's burdens and to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and then to send us out on mission together to seek and save what is lost and bring restoration to the world. That was always the point of the church. It was never about just coming together in your nice clothes and going through our checklist. And I think we fall into that trap so easily because we can see that and we can trust that it works. But why it creates clarity is my guess is there's not a single one of you sitting at home this morning in a suit and tie. And and not that it's bad when we gather back together if you're in a suit and tie or if you dress nicely. But the point is always that we gather that we come together right now virtually because that's what we can do. And hopefully in a few weeks, more and more gathering physically as we celebrate, as we worship what God is doing. Right now you're sitting at home, some of you in your pajamas. You're sitting at home in your recliner. You're relaxed. And that's awesome. I'm glad. Because I think this moment has brought clarity to our purpose as a church and to the mission of God. Church has always been about incarnation and cruciformity. Allowing the presence and spirit of God to incarnate our lives. And for us to live out the presence of God in this world. And for us to be transformed into the cruciformed Christ. Serving this world with all that we have, pouring ourselves, our lives out to bring honor and glory to Jesus. I believe that God is doing some amazing things right now in our world. I believe he's doing some amazing things in our churches. And as I said, you may feel the presence of God in this moment. 
but you probably won't see the blessing of God until our sight has been fully restored. And for those of you that have been through difficult times, where you were forced into trusting Jesus because there was no other way, you look back on your life and you say, I see God's fingerprints all over my story. I see how he was working and how he was moving. And at the time, I could not see. But now, now I see it so clearly. So today, today I'm asking you to take a step of faith and to trust that God is leading you in beautiful and new directions. Maybe that God has taken you by the hand and he's led you outside of the place that you feel the most secure and taken you into a place of great uncertainty so that you could see him clearly. And maybe today you need to trust and follow Jesus even though you can't see him. Some of you need to take that first step and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I would love for you to reach out in one of our chat rooms and just say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And we would love to connect with you and let you know that we're here for you and we'll help you begin that journey as you move closer to Jesus. For others, it's trusting in a time where you've been following Jesus for, for years and you've thought you knew what God was doing, and this whole last two months has just flipped your world upside down, and now you're not so sure because your marriage is struggling now more than ever. Or financially, you have no clue what to do or where to turn. Or your kids, as homeschool students, are now making life so difficult because you still have a job. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. But what I do know is that Jesus is there. And his presence is with you, leading you by the hand. Simply asking, will you trust and follow Jesus?